Hi guys, and welcome to another Informed Performance Podcast highlight clip. This highlight today is from episode 7 with Sue Falzoni. Sue is the owner of Structure and Function, and since we spoke to her way back in episode 7, she has become the Director of Movement and Return to Performance at the Houston Texans NFL team. This clip with Sue features her useful insights on how to appraise what evidence-based practice truly means, and how do we pragmatically include methods or tools in our practice when there is perhaps gaps in the academic literature. This episode has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of Forstex, the world's fastest, easiest and most powerful dual force plate system. Forstex can help you to analyse neuromuscular strength, performance and imbalances in your athletes. With an incredibly simple setup and intuitive software, Forstex automatically detects over 15 common force plate tests and analyzes them with a single click, helping you to collect quick and accurate insights on your athletes. To learn more, head over to our sponsor, volperformance.com. Informed Performance is proudly partners with Humac Norm by CSMI. If you or your organization has a Biodex or Cybex, then is your old software or computer slowing you down? If yes, then check out the Humac software or computer upgrade for Biodex systems 2, 3, and 4, and also the Humac norm. Since 1982, over 3,000 Cybex and Biodex owners have rejuvenated the isokinetic machine they already own with the Humac system by CSMI. To learn more about the Humac upgrade, then head to humacnorm.com and select products and upgrades. You're listening to an informed performance podcast highlight from episode seven with Sue Falzoni. What I'm interested to know is how do you think therapists or coaches can strike a balance between um, being open-minded to what they use or what philosophies they apply, but still being critical from a scientific standpoint? Yeah, it's definitely a balance, right? And I think that... um, People love to talk about this concept of of evidence-based medicine. And for some reason, evidence-based medicine became equated with research. And really, when you look at the foundational definition of evidence-based medicine, it's the best available research, which in some areas, that means we don't have much research at all. So it's the best available research, clinician experience, and patient values. And those three things are combined to create what's called evidence-based practice. And I don't know where along the line that sort of best available research portion of the concept of evidence-based medicine became larger than the other two. And I'll, you know, I, I would love when people want to have the, the argument on Twitter in 140 characters. People will say, well, you're valuing clinician experience more so than the literature. And I would argue that no, not at all. I think those three things are very equal when it comes to the practice of evidence-based medicine. Patient values and clinician experience are just as important as the best available research. And in some areas, you know, I work with really um, high-level individuals. There are not any randomized control trials on seven-foot-tall NBA players. So the only thing I can look to, the best available evidence in that population might be a case study or a case series. So for me to to feel like I always have to find a systematic review, a meta-analysis, or some type of randomized controlled trials, depending on what I'm doing or who I'm working with, those are not super applicable to the patient population that I'm working with. So I think we have to to kind of revisit the foundational definition of evidence-based medicine, best available research, 
and how we can best, you know, how we best utilize that patient values and what the patient believes is going to be a valuable treatment for them and clinician experience. And just recognize that all those three things is what makes up evidence-based medicine. I guess the, the science quite often is playing catch up with how we treat patients based on experience and judgment, or I guess occasionally intuition as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, research or practice drives research, and then research informs our practice. But that first part of, you know, the way we even have a research study is because people are doing it in the clinic, in the clinic, or, or people are seeing some type of phenomenon, and they say, hey, we want to study this. And so then they go to study it, and then they, they go to, to look at it, and then they take what they found, and then they you know, turn it back around and, and inform our practice. So I think that we have to recognize that clinical experience drives what's happening in the research and that the research then informs our practice. And so it's this big circle. Um, but, you know, our clinician experience and what we're seeing every day to day, you know, every single day as we're working with patients is super valuable. And in, in your book, you managed to include a, a real wealth of different tools or uh, philosophies for how you treat and enhance the, you know, the athletic body. Um, when you come across, say, a new tool or a new idea that you haven't used before yourself, how how do you go about deciding whether you're going to implement it or not? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question because there's so much stuff out there um, now that it's almost overwhelming. I mean, especially with technology and and different things that are coming out, it can get really overwhelming, um, not only for a new clinician, but even for an older clinician who's been practicing for a really long period of time. And, and you know, they're trying to kind of keep up with some of the new things that are coming out or that their patients, right? Patients are so informed now because of the internet that patients are coming in and saying, hey, I read about this on the internet. And if, you know, you haven't heard of it, you're like, oh gosh, like, you know, I need to go look that up. So there's so many things that are just coming down our pipeline. And so you've got to be really critical when it comes to any type of a tool. And, and for me, I think sometimes people confuse their philosophy with the tool that they're using. So like for me, my philosophy is unwavering when it comes to my clients and my patients. My, my philosophy is to restore and maintain the homeostatic balance of my patient. So whether that's biochemically, biomechanically, biopsychosocially, bioneurally, whatever that means, like it, it doesn't matter. And then the tool I use to express that philosophy um, is just whatever happens to be on my, in my hand. So is that a needle? Is that um, my actual thumb? Is it um, a foam roller? Is it some type of um, kettlebell or a weight or whatever? Like the tool expresses my philosophy. And I think what happens sometimes is that People confuse their tools with their philosophy, or even they confuse their continuing education path with their philosophy. Now, some continuing education is a philosophy, but what I wanted to do in the book was just to kind of make the point that everything fits, right? Like whatever tool or whatever kind of school of thought you want to follow, it all fits within this model. Um, and it's just sort of a matter of, where do you want to put it and where do you want to put your stock into that, that tool? Um, but yeah, I'm pretty critical when it comes to new tools and flashy toys. I mean, I've got a concierge practice, which means I'm on the road. I don't have a facility. So if it doesn't fit into my little backpack, it doesn't go with me. Um, and so I'm pretty, for something to come out of my tool bag, what is going to replace it needs to be really, really good. So I'm pretty critical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 